Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Dick Foth with us back for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our conversation with John Gordon uh, on leadership. Dick, so excited to have you back on the podcast. Always a highlight of my day. And my day's earlier than yours is. That is well, true. You've that already is true. passed my day. Yeah, uh, it's a little later in my day than yours, uh, yeah, but but it's uh, they say my favorite announcer says it's a great day to be a mountaineer wherever you may be, and that's in morning, afternoon, and night. It's always good to be a West Virginian wherever you may be. So you just yeah. never get that West Virginia at its deep, it's deep. <laughs> and that and that song John Denver sang about take me home. That's it. He'd never been to West Virginia when he sang that, and he still, you know. It worked. It worked. It worked. And uh, it's, as you said, it's saying everywhere. Dick, two questions for you. Uh, first question, it says, I I seem busier than ever, but not sure I am accomplishing more. What have you found that helps you um, remain intentional? Well, first of all, I think it's, I think it's hard. It's very hard for us to measure what we accomplish, depending on what arena we're talking about. It, it isn't hard to measure whether I built that raised bed for plants in my backyard. That's a deal. But um, I have a confession to make, and that is that I tend to do the easy things first. Okay. And that's active, but it's not necessarily productive. Right. Hmm. However, having said that, let me put the other side of it. One of the most famous um, commencement talks, I think it was to the University of Texas, few years back was by Admiral William McRaven, who used to be head of all the SEALs, Navy SEALs. And uh, he's got a couple of great books, by the way. And this is this this was his commencement message, core idea to that student body. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Hmm. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. I am not a great bed maker. Ruth always makes the bed and she sucked me into the, she sucked me into her bed making syndrome. Just like she sucked me into gardening. I'm in Oakland, California. I don't do the gardening. So so anyway, that's one little thought. Second thought is do one important thing each day. Hmm. And by important, I would say structural. Ruth and I are getting ready to go on a trip to the east of the United States here in a few days. And she asked me last night, do you have the list? And so I have a list of to, to do on this day in September. We're talking in September. And I don't know when this will come up. But, um, but I, I make a list. And, and, and I put beside the things that if they don't happen today, I'm going to be in big trouble either, for whatever reasons uh, in, in what we're doing. And so I just put an A by them. Yeah. If I have a longer list, then I'll put a B, but they don't, they need to happen this week, but not today. So one important uh, structural thing each day. Hmm. I think people stay away from big tasks because, well, they're big tasks. Yeah. <laughs> Take so much energy to get there. <laughs> so I would say small steps to big tasks. There's an old Murphy's Law thing, and, and missionaries know this better than most, that a hundred guppies can eat the treasury. Hmm. Okay. And Kenny Short, uh, who's now with Jesus, he was with us on our team at the, at the college where I was, and he was a retired missionary from New Guinea. And he went there after World War II. And uh, he, he always had this saying, 
by the yard, it's hard. By the inch, it's a cinch. And and he he was actually talking about how you raise money for your missionary projects. Hmm. But but I think that applies to anything. Yeah. And finally, um, the early hours for me in yeah. getting things done are the most productive. You know, yeah. there are studies that show you have four really strong hours a day out of yeah. 24 hours in terms of creativity. Um, well, I guess there's another thing. You know, I'm going to close two or three times like those preachers do. Uh, if you have something you like and something you do well, mm-hmm. work on that. Because there okay. are things we like, but we don't do them well, or things we do well, but we don't like doing it. Right. But those two things cross. I have a friend who says, that's the will of God for you. Hmm. And, the, and the other thing we can do is try stuff. Experiment yeah. with doing it in different ways. That's yeah. it. Good. Good word. Good word. Dick, the second question kind of ties in with that. Has this changed, um, and does this change in different seasons of life? Yeah, it, it was very interesting. Uh, but almost almost 10 years ago now, I did a thing called a life plan where you go and sit with somebody for two days and you share your story and da, 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 and out of that you get a mission statement and out of that you get action plans. Yeah. And you walk back into the room at one point and they put your life on the wall in butcher paper and you see your, and it's often by decades. Mm. And, and the decade that was from 20 to 30 or the 15 years from 21 or 14, 21 to 35 was huge on the wall compared mm. to some other decades in terms of what I expressed as life gates or turning points, big things that were productive. So my response to the question, has this changed in different seasons of life? The short answer is yes, it has. For the first 40 years of my life, I was a pastor, president of small college and a life coach. And what created what my productivity was the system I was a part of. The system made demands, Hmm. the system set my priorities. The last 14 years since we moved here, and people say, well, have you retired? Anyway, the last 14 years, I set my own priorities. And I say, yeah. no, I've not retired. I don't find that word in Scripture. but uh, or, or in my inclination, neither yeah. Scripture nor my inclination lets me go there. I said, yeah, well, yeah, I've retired, but I've only retired from running something. I haven't retired from being productive, hopefully. Hmm. So early on, I chose a role which put me with some people in a place, and that role defined me. That's not bad. I just need to recognize that. And now I don't choose that role. I choose the people and places I wish to be with. Uh, And the challenge of older years is totally on you. How do you spend your days? With whom do you spend them? To what end do you spend them? Some people just stop. And I, I don't fault them for stopping. They've worked harder. And the whole idea of retirement came out of the industrial age, I think, where you, because farmers didn't retire. They just died, quote, in the harness, literally. Right. Um, but I think staying engaged or connected helps vitality. Yeah. I asked a, I asked a fellow who, who was a college junior when I became president of this small college. He just retired mid-60s wow. as a grandfather from a large congregation, thousands just retired from that role. And he had been out here uh, in, in Colorado and, and we had a chat and I said, what have you discovered after these all these years since you were a college student and I was a college president? 
And his comment was, I thought, profound. He said, I found that I have less to prove and more to offer. Wow. So if you're, if you're an older dude or dudess or whatever you are, lady out there, <laughs> understand that your experience gives you things to offer to a younger generation who have, have had anything close to the experience you have. It's good. And so just don't quit. Don't, That's as good. they say, and for sure, don't drown in shallow water as you're coming into the harbor. That's good. Good word. Good word. Dick, always appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with John Gordon on life and leadership. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have author with us today, John Gordon. John, welcome to the podcast. Aaron, good to be with you. John, um, so excited to have you. Your book in 2020 was a book that really spoke to my heart. And as I think you've shared, it was our mind doesn't, just doesn't need fixing, but our, our soul and our spirits need healing. And it was such a timely book. Before we jump into some of those questions, will you just share a little bit about yourself that for the audience that hasn't read your book? Are you talking about the garden, by the way, the book? I am. I am talking about the garden. Yeah, it was okay. phenomenal. I figured that because the way you were, where you were going with the, uh, with what I wrote in there. So yes, yeah. I wrote the garden not too long ago, only a couple of years ago before the pandemic. I am a writer. I started writing around 2002, 2003. I was going okay. through a really difficult time in my life. I had lost my job during the dot-com crash. I had two little kids. I had a mortgage a wife, and my life is crumbling from the inside out. I am crumbling on the inside. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm not a person of faith at that time. And I remember saying, God, what am I born to do? So I still cried out to God. God, what am I born to do? Why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. And writing and speaking came to me during that time. Okay. I'm going to write and speak. That's what I'm going to do. It was like this knowing. It was an incredible feeling, like God saying, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is what I've called you to do. I wanted to encourage others the way other books had encouraged me. Like my mom gave me Og Mandino's The Greatest Salesman Yeah, when I was younger, and that book inspired, encouraged me. And so, okay, I'm going to encourage others, and I'm going to write. So that's yeah. what I set out to do. I didn't know what I was going to write and speak about, but it's cool now over the years to see that I've written 26 books. They usually take about three and a half to four weeks to write. God truly gives me the vision and purpose of what I'm supposed to write. I'm writing my next one coming up here in December. God has already given me the vision, the title. I've been teaching it for a little while now. So now I'm going to sit down and write it. And I think it's going to be revolutionary in, in, in so many ways from a from a spiritual and a biblical and a um, a life perspective for people. And I think it's going to bring people closer to Jesus as the goal, as was the goal with the garden. And so I wrote business fables for the most part over the years. And I've woven in a little bit of my faith into to the storyline or subtly here and there. But with the garden, I knew I had to share how to win the battle of our mind. Yeah. And I had to share what people are going through and how the enemy is filling us with fear and doubt and anxiety and stress and how we don't choose our negative thoughts. Like everyone yeah. thinks negative thoughts come from us, 
who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Like, would yeah. you ever choose one? <laughs> That's very true. And yeah. once you realize you wouldn't choose a negative thought, where is it coming from? Well, yeah. That's the battle within our soul. I don't know how it all works energetically. I don't know, like from a scientific perspective, how it happens, but I know within our soul, there's a battle going on between good and evil. Yeah. And there is evil that is always trying to create doubt and distortion and discouragement and distractions and division. And the word yeah. anxious literally means divided at its Greek root word. And so these five D's God showed me one day in a walk, these five D's are what the enemy uses to wreak havoc on us to sabotage us to ultimately defeat us or in a marriage cause divorce or in an individual cause destruction of their soul. But God gives us a game plan. He gives us how to win the battle. And God has shown me this over the last number of years, how to win the battle. And also Jesus gives us that blueprint and framework when he's being tempted in the wilderness. And he says, it is written. It is written. Every time the enemy lies or tries to tempt, he responds, it is written. So what is he doing? He's speaking truth to the lies. Yeah, that's good. And that is how we ultimately win the battle. We speak truth and we encourage and we focus on God because if fear ultimately divides and the enemy is always trying to divide us, then what unites? It is love. Yeah. Right? good word. And, And Jesus reconciles us back to the Father. So what happened in the garden, that's why I call the book The Garden, the separation of man and woman from God. And the, again, the enemy is still always trying to separate us and yeah. cause us to be and feel separate because the more separate you feel, the more divided you feel, the weaker you are, mm. the more anxious you are, and the more easily defeated you are. Yeah. But what is strength? Strength is unity. Yeah. Strength is oneness, right? Strength is power. So through Jesus, what does he do? He restores, he redeems. He brings us back into unity, union, right? Communion, you know, with the Father. And in that oneness, there is power, there is strength, there is unity. And that is how we win the battle. So that's sort of what my next book is about. It's about the battle of oneness and separateness. And once you understand that, you understand everything. Then you understand how to win the battle even more. So the garden was sort of like the the first chapter in how to win. And now, even though it's a book, this is going to be the second and complete part of it in terms of, of how to do that. So yeah, awesome. I never thought I would be a writer. I never thought I would be someone doing this. And people always say like, what's, if God was going to speak to you, what do you think he'd say? I think he would say, it's amazing what I can do with so little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the humbleness, but you have just a, a way of putting things into words and communicating deep truths in a way that people can understand. And I think that's a lot of times people have deep thoughts, but at the same time, if you can't communicate them, they just end up being deep thoughts. And you're be able to you're able to take deep thoughts and the in writing in fables, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, really, I think fables, fables are a great way to again, how do we learn best through stories? Yeah. The Bible is obviously a series of stories. God is the ultimate storyteller. Yeah. The universe, right? Universe means one song. So God is the creator of the one song and the songs tell stories. And so we are ultimately living in the one song in the universe. So we are meant to tell stories, to convey messages and to convey truths. 
So people often like say to me, God, it's genius the way you take complicated things and you make it so simple. I say, no, I'm not actually a genius. I actually just think simply. That's how my <laughs> mind works. I think really simply and try to convey it simply. And you know what's funny? I want to try to convey things sometimes more complex, more difficult in writing because I want to be more of an advanced writer. And I just can't. It's yeah. not the way my mind works. And what I've realized is I am called to write these books so that they can re be relatable sure. and people can connect with them in the way that they're written and yeah. then they're easily digestible and then they're applicable. So I realized, all right, God, I accept it. I accept my <laughs> calling. Even as, a, even as a speaker, I would like to sometimes be more complex and wrap things around, but no, I'm straight up with yeah. principles and stories and application. It's Good. how I teach. Yeah, it's awesome. John, I know you speak to sports teams, you speak to business leaders, you speak into large organizations. When you begin to share about spiritual aspects and this battle that we're in, how is that received in maybe a, more of a, a diverse audience? Well, I do it in a way where I'm not bringing the biblical aspect to it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay because the truth is the truth. Sure. And the Bible just explains the truth. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I think about oneness and separateness, I think about the garden, I think about Adam and Eve. That's an ancient Jewish story. Hmm. That's not a Christian story. Yeah. So if you really think about it, even though Jesus was always there from the beginning, from a chronological standpoint, Jesus hasn't even walked on the earth yet. Right. And so from that story, the truth was already there. Yeah. The story was already there. The battle was already there. Yeah. And it already existed before Christianity even was around. Yeah. So you don't have to be a Christian to know the truth. Right. But but Christianity explains the truth. And then you realize Jesus is the truth. Hmm. And the more you realize that, then obviously then that explains everything. And once you understand the truth, then Jesus is actually undeniable. Like you cannot deny why he came, what he did, and how he did it, once you understand that there's a separateness that happened, and then Jesus brings back unity and oneness. Yeah. Once you understand, he's the only one that does. Yeah. So I don't go and do that to a company to explain that. I just talk about yeah. positivity, yeah. negativity. I'll talk about the battle of the five Ds, but I don't even do it in a biblical sense or a spiritual sense. I just talk about the Ds that will sabotage us. And here's how yeah. you overcome the Ds. And I'll say you trust. And I'll say you speak truth to the lies. And I'll say you encourage and you focus on what matters most and you love. And I'll talk about love. So I, I don't go there when I'm speaking to a corporate audience. Sure. But, but I use words, you know, like blessed and I'll mention God and I'll talk about God. And then there's always that moment where someone will say, where do you get your inspiration from? in the hmm. Q&A or, you know, Hey, I know you're a person of faith. Can you, can you, how has that impacted your life? Yeah. And that gives you an opportunity then to speak in a way that's not uh, something that is inappropriate for that time sure. in that audience. Yeah, again, sense. I believe there's a time, but again, I'm just, I'm just providing a window and an opportunity and I'm meeting people where they are. Yeah. And sometimes I get criticized for that. Like, you know, the real hard, you know, a legalist will come at me and be like, oh, you're not saying Jesus in every single talk and every message and every word. Well, that's not my calling. Like I know my calling. Yeah. And my calling is to be in the corporate arena, the sports arena, the education arena. And, and, and then what happens is a lot of times people will start to follow me Yeah, and then they'll see my Sunday tweets where I always share a faith-based message in Sunday tweets, or they'll read the garden after having read the energy bus. And they're like, whoa. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And it's like, when you meet someone right away, you don't automatically tell them I'm a Christian and this is blah, blah, blah. You don't, you get to know them first and you develop a sure. relationship. Missionaries yeah. know that, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, a missionary sure. isn't, missionary isn't really, 
I think one maybe one of the problems with mission with with missions is we forget that it's about relationship first and foremost. Hmm. You know, and, and I think and sometimes I had a good friend who's a pastor tell me this, like because they've done a lot of this work. Like people will literally give their life to Jesus just so they can get food. Hmm. Like like actual food to eat. Yeah. Like and they say, isn't this how it works? Like you're here. And you feed me. And so I'm supposed to then do the right thing, except Jesus, even though they don't really know what that doesn't feel it. And guess what? That becomes transactional. Hmm. Our God is not a transactional God. Our God is a transformational God. And our God is about that. And our God is about relationships. So to me, first and foremost, it's about loving people, investing in the relationship. Then when they know you care about them and you love them and they start to love you, they want to know more about you. What yeah. drives this person to be this way? Why is he like this? How does he overcome his obstacles? How does he handle that negative person in the audience in such a positive way? How do you do that? And the more you do that and live that way, then people want to know more. And that's your opportunity then to share your faith and to yeah. share with others. So, yeah. so to me, I know that's my calling and that's how I do it. But I, again, I'm, when I'm speaking to a sports team, you know, I'll mention God and I'll share these principles, but I don't, I don't do an altar call. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Hundred percent. Yeah. Do we in your book you talk about the mental battle we're in? Do you think most people realize that they're in a battle and that there is a battle for their mind? And could you just unpack that a little bit for us? That's the biggest problem is that people don't realize they're in mm. a battle, and so they don't know they're in a battle, but the enemy does. The enemy mm. is clearly in a battle with you, and if yeah. you don't know you're in a battle, but your enemy does, you're going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> I have a friend who fights in, in the UFC, Michael Chandler, who's a, who's a Christian. And he fought the other night and he was in a battle and his face looks very deformed right now from the battle. He battled, he almost won. It was such a battle. But when he goes in, he knows his enemy is coming after him. So he is doing everything he can to win that fight. Cause he's expecting it. He is ready for it. But if you're not ready for it, you walk into that <laughs> UFC ring and your opponent is ready for you, but you're not ready, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. And that's why so many people are losing the battle. That's why so mm. many teenagers are struggling. Mm. So this teenager has fear, anxiety, and stress. They have these all these negative thoughts. Yeah. And this teenager thinks these thoughts are from him. Mm. So now he's beating himself up for having those thoughts. Now he's feeling shame and guilt and he's being bombarded with more and more because now he's beating himself up even more. And now he's experiencing the downward cycle. He's getting mm. worse and worse. And eventually he wants to just give up and end it all mm. because he's so frustrated. And that is how we lose the battle. But yeah. if that teenager understands those thoughts are not coming from him, yeah. That teenager understands that there's an enemy that is filling his mind and soul with these negative thoughts. And he doesn't have to believe the lies hmm. that they tell. And he can speak truth to the lies and words of encouragement. And on a daily basis, recognize the word of God and the truth and what God says about him. And he starts filling his mind and renewing his mind and taking every thought captive. And the more he does that and thinks that way, eventually what happens is those negative thoughts start to fade away. Fear mm. starts to subside. The enemy realizes he can't win and he moves on to something else or just waits until he can attack again when you're in a difficult and challenging state in your life. And yeah. so the key is to, to really teach this to kids to help them understand and for all of us, that we are in a battle hmm. and there's an enemy that wants to defeat you and take you down and destroy you. 
Yeah. And that you have to understand that when you're in a battle, you have to have a game plan on how to armor yourself and win that battle. And the yeah. more you do and you armor yourself with God, that is how you win. So the more we can teach this to people and help them understand, I feel like we'll save lives, but we'll help people feel more victorious in the life that they're living. And that's what God wants. Yeah. And that's the ultimate battle itself. The enemy wants to destroy you and God wants to unite you to himself yeah. and be victorious with you. And you have yeah. to know that. So yeah, yeah, I wish more people knew they were in a battle, but that's where I am out there. Even if it's not to a, you know, a faith-based audience, I say you are in a battle and there's a battle for your mind. And I hmm. want to share with you how to win the battle because you're in a battle. Yeah. Look around in life right now. You're in a battle. And the minute you show them life, they're like, oh yeah, I am. You're right. This is not a <laughs> playground. This is a, people think we're in a playground. No, it's a battleground. Yeah. No, it's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I think most of the audience is listening into this. You know, I went, the first place we landed was Burkina Faso. And I think when I got to Africa, I thought, you know, the enemy comes to make my life a little bit difficult and, you know, make my life inconvenient. But man, when we arrived in Burkina, I realized that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We were, I was sick with malaria and, and all kinds of different problems. But honestly, John, it was the it was not just the fact of being sick all the time, but it was the mental aspect that it had on my mind. And um, those attacks came and I just wasn't prepared for it. I mean, that's the reality of it is I grew up in the church, knew God's word. But at the same time, I had never been in a place where the enemy was attacking my mind the way he had at that point in my life and just was not prepared. And I think that's where I get my passion for now is to get a message out like that you share for others. So they don't necessarily have to go through the same things that I went through um, if they have if they're ready and they're prepared for prepared for the battle yeah it's just that's a, such a that's such a great point because you know when i was younger i experienced a lot of the battle and i experienced <laughs> the battle also early on in marriage and i think in a way that's a blessing because i experienced <laughs> it younger i knew wow like when i saw it so clearly that there's an enemy attacking me and those negative thoughts and the fear and the depression i dealt with and how i was losing and then ultimately how i I started to win. Hmm. I started to pray and trust and surrender. And I gave my life to Jesus and he started to change me from the inside out. Like now I can speak to that. And then I saw my kids who are now 24 and 22 get tested and get affected and get impacted early on as well. My son younger than me, even with his battle. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well he'll probably do this work as well. Yeah. But as you said, a lot of Christians, they go through life and, They'd never really been smashed before. They'd never been brought down before. They'd never had times where all of a sudden they just couldn't get out of a funk and they were feeling yeah. down and depressed and they didn't know where it was coming from. Yeah. And I think we have a society that says, take the pill. Hmm. Take the pill to feel better. And I'm not against medication. I know there's a lot of Christians who are, who, who are okay with that. I believe there's a time and place for it. Yeah. But as I said, and as you said very early on, so often the mind doesn't need fixing. It's the soul that needs healing. Yeah. So before we start taking pills, let's really evaluate, do we really need the pills? Yeah. And maybe you do, but in many cases, probably most cases, you don't. Yeah. Most cases, you probably need to sleep better. Yeah. Most cases, you need to take more walks of gratitude and prayer. Hmm. Most cases, you need to feed yourself every day and pray and trust and surrender. Hmm. Most cases, you need to eat more wild salmon and wild fish. Cause actually that's a, a great way to have a healthy brain. Yeah. 
in most cases, the more we take care of ourselves and our bodies and nurture our souls and feed our souls and connect with others and build great relationships and have a mission and have a purpose and live focusing on doing God's work and surrendering each day to that, we're going to live a more positive, joyful, happy life in most cases. We'll feel ups and downs along the way, but in most cases, we'll be a lot happier. How do I know? Because that's my journey. Hmm. Because my journey was one where I was miserable, negative, and I wanted to, in some cases and sometimes, end my life. And now Hmm. I wake up every day with mission and purpose, focusing on what God wants me to do. And it's a completely different person, a completely different mindset. Hmm. That teenager I talked about earlier, that was a real teenager that I talked to. A real teenager who was struggling with anxiety, who was in the ER two days before Hmm. I met with him, who was there because he had suicidal thoughts. Hmm. And once I explained this to him, yeah. It changed everything. Yeah. And once he stopped beating himself up for the negative thoughts yeah. that were in his head, everything changed in his life. I reached out to him the other day. It's about a year later. How you doing? Doing great, Mr. Gordon. Doing great. Feeling oneness. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so you know it's true. You know it's real. And you know that this is what we must do to win the battle. just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. You talk, how does doubt play? How does the enemy use doubt um, to get us to this place of depression and anxiety and fear? How does he use doubt? Well, it starts with doubt. It really starts with that seed of doubt that Hmm. you're not who you think you are or who God thinks you are Hmm. and that you're here to doubt God and that Hmm. God is not who he is. Okay. Big thing. Did God really say you couldn't eat from all the trees in the garden? The serpent says to eat. Did God really say you couldn't eat from all the trees? No, God said you couldn't eat from the one tree. God said you could eat from all the trees. God provided abundance. What did the serpent do? What does the enemy do? He caused you to focus on what you lack. Yeah. Focus on the one tree you can't eat from, not <laughs> all the trees you can eat from. So that's what God, God provides abundance. The enemy always says you're not enough. Hmm. You don't have enough. You lack what it takes to be successful. You're not smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough. And you won't be who you want to be and you won't create the success. I ask people all the time, do you want to be great? And they always say, yes. Like almost everyone says, I want to be great. Why? Because deep down, God put greatness within you. And Jesus Mm. said, even greater things than I shall you do. Yeah. It's not about you being great, but it's about you doing great things for God. Sure. You want to be great. You want to do great things. Because deep down, God put that desire within you because you're made in his likeness and image. Yeah. What is God's likeness and image? If God is great, he had to give us some essence of greatness within us. So, so I believe we want to do great things, of course, with God. We can't be great without God. Sure. And that's part of the journey as well. As you talk to any athlete, they hit obstacles, struggles along the way. Eventually, so many of them are faithful people because they realize they can't do it alone. Yeah. See, that's the key. God gives us this desire to be great. 
Why? As we're pursuing this greatness or this unstoppable or improbable, you know, goal or achievement, we realize, wow, like you come to a point that you're not enough and you're not strong enough and you need a greater power and you need a greater strength and you need God. And that's when God says, see, I've been here all along. I'm ready. I got you. So we want to be great, but then we have these voices that say, we're not great. Hmm. We're not enough. Hmm. So the seeds of doubt start there. And it always goes to the, to the core of our identity. So the enemy will always attack you in the place of your identity. So it starts with that identity. What are we dealing with right now in society? Identity. There's so hmm. many identity issues that are happening in society. And you can see the way the enemy is attacking that. And so once you know who you are and you know who you are in God, you have a much stronger identity. And the enemy will run away and be scared away once you understand who you are in God. And he'll understand he has no power over you. But the minute he can attack your identity, like Adam and Eve, did God really say you can eat from all the trees in the garden? Then he also attacks and says, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. Hmm. So he says you will be like God if you eat from this tree. No, they already were like God. What he's saying is you're not like God. You have to do this to be like God. Yeah. And you have to believe the lie to be like God. No, they already were like God. Because if you read Genesis before that, it says they were made in the likeness and image of God. So they were like God. So think about that. The enemy convinced them that they were not like God. Everyone always says that they ate from the tree out of pride because they wanted to be like God. No, they already were. Hmm. It wasn't pride. It was because they believed the lie. And then because they believed the lie, they felt less than. And because they felt less than, they now had an ego because they were edging God out. So the ego caused them to feel powerless. And then they wanted to eat from the tree and then have power. But they already had power. They had just forgotten the truth that they had the power and believed the lie that they didn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's it's fascinating. Fascinating insights. The thing you share about is bad choices. And sometimes our, we make choices and we look back and we become discouraged by the choices we make. And then the enemies can use that to also. Can you share a little bit about how we can, if we've made bad choices or how we can overcome those? And so we don't, that doesn't lead to this, this escalate of fear and anxiety and depression. Well, in our fear, in our anxiety, in our doubt, he plants those seeds of doubt. So then we don't feel like enough. So then we start to do things to try to feel like we're enough. Hmm. And the more we try to feel enough and feel worthy, feel valuable, we start doing things that are actually not good for us, or we start doing things to feel better. And we start making bad choices because those bad choices are based on bad beliefs. Hmm. As a result of that, it leads to bad outcomes. And then what? We feel bad about ourselves and then begins the downward spiral of our destruction of our soul and shame and guilt and giving up. So that's ultimately how it happens. So those choices that you make, when you make a bad choice, it's okay to make them, but recognize it, own it, obviously ask for forgiveness, and then move forward by making Mm -hmm. more positive choices. Worst thing you do is make the bad choice and then spend your life feeling guilty and shameful for the bad choice you made. Because now you've died a number of times. Hmm. It's not just the one of that. You're now beating yourself up over and over and over again. And if you beat yourself over up over and over again, you're going to lose the fight clearly because you're beating yourself. Yeah. So the key is you made the bad choice, repent, mm-hmm. ask for forgiveness, 
and then going forward, make better choices and realize why you made the bad choice in the first place. You got to go back to the core of why we're making the bad choice. And it's because you don't feel connected to God and you're not connected. And in that moment, if you were connected, you wouldn't have made that choice. Yeah. And so that's the key. I appreciate how you illustrate that connection. Uh, honestly, I'd never really thought about it that much, but as you illustrate it, it makes it makes so much sense. One one other question I had for you was about distraction. We seem to live in a world of distraction. So many things coming at us, and you that is one of the you share about one of the D's of this distraction. How how does the enemy use distraction to keep us from from being who God wants us to be? If the enemy won't make you bad or can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. (laughs) He'll make you busy. He'll make you distracted. He'll cause you to focus on what doesn't matter instead of what does matter. And the more distracted you are, the more you focus on the things that don't don't matter, you have less energy and time and attention for what does matter. So instead of building your life and building the kingdom and building what God wants you to create. You're building maybe what you think you want to create or what others want from you, or you're building things that really don't matter. So I think that's the key is to understand, understand that distractions are the enemy of greatness. Hmm. And those distract those distractions will cause you to feel more and more separate and divided and, and, and and away from God and separate from God. So the key is to start doing the things that make you feel more aligned with God and more connected to God and what matters most. And those will be in the places of your passion, your mission, Mm -hmm. your purpose, your, your areas of service, things that you know that you're called to do. Yeah. Sometimes you have to let go of the old and let go of things that don't matter in order to focus on what does matter. And if something's not serving you or serving others, then you know, you need to let it go. Maybe it's not serving you right now, but you're meant to do it to serve others. In that case, well, then you're meant to be a selfless Christian yeah. and do it. But a world that says, if you don't serve you, then stop doing it. No, maybe it's not meant to serve you. Yeah. Maybe you're meant to serve others. No, it's good. And, and that and that's part of our 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 life and our journey and our calling. And that's why I admire missionaries what they do because obviously they they selflessly give everything of who they are to ultimately help others become who they're meant to be in Christ. Yeah. So so to me. Um, keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Be focused on that and recognize when the enemy is causing us to look at competition, comparison, and anything outside that doesn't help us. That's good. I think one of the challenges for missionaries and anybody that works with people is we, we have hope and it's, it's hard to, to let go in the sense, let go or want to change because you're, you figure it's, it's going to get better. You know I mean? I think if you were in a business of making widgets or fidget spinners, you'd be able to see, Hey, these aren't selling. This is not working. We need to shift. Um, if you're in a business world, but it has the working with people. Sometimes you don't see, you don't see outcomes or see change five, 10 years down the road. And I think that can, that can be a challenge um, uh, that hope, and we're, we're believers believing that it's it's going to get better um, in the days to come. Isn't isn't that hard? Because maybe it's not going to change even in your lifetime. How many biblical stories that didn't happen in their lifetime, (laughs) but it happened in the next lifetime. And it's because we know the whole story, reading it backwards that we know it happened, but while we're actually doing it, we don't know what's going to happen next. So it's, it's the journey of faith that we're meant to, yeah, that we're meant to live that we're on. And it's hard, but that's where, as you said, hope comes in and we trust in God. The way I look at it is I wrote a book, the seed 
we're meant to plant seeds every mm. day. And we know in doing so that a harvest is coming. Hmm. We don't know when. Yeah. We don't know if we'll even see the harvest because we may not. Yeah. But we still plant those seeds with the trust and the belief and the faith hmm. that a harvest is coming. Yeah. Yeah. John, you invest in people and you invest encouragement. How do you not get discouraged when you don't see the outcomes necessarily that you were hoping to see? You know, I have hope. I have belief. So even though I don't see it right now, I still believe it's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, You know, so I'm one of those people that still believes at some point, some way. And then I also am a, a realist in the sense where I say, you know what? Maybe they won't change. Maybe they won't improve, but that's up to God. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not me. I mean, come on. I spoke to the Cleveland Browns. I definitely have eternal hope and optimism (laughs) and they did not do well. And I thought, you know what? I don't even think Jesus could have helped that team. So I didn't feel too bad after that. (laughs) Jesus could have talked to that team himself and they still would have not done well. So what I've realized is, is I'm meant to just do what I'm called to do. And then I leave the rest up to God. Yeah. Yeah. Last question I have for you for today is division. You share about division. I think we, we're living in a society now that seems to be pulling away, um, but you talk about the power of unity. Can you just give us a word of encouragement, how we can resist that that sense of pulling apart, but rather pulling together? Well, that's the ultimate battle playing out, is that there's an enemy that is always trying to divide us and separate us from each other and separate us from God. So it's not just happening you know, in the garden, it's happening right now with us where we are. So that's yeah. the battle that's going on. So we're always going to be feeling this pull, as you said, and yeah. this division and this separateness. So the key is to know that and make time to unite, yeah. unite to yourself, unite with others, connect with others, your team members, your staff, through relationships, building those relationships. That's what matters most. And obviously unity with God through prayer, through surrender, and through faith in Jesus. And the more we do that, the more we do that, you know what's interesting we'll realize? The scripture that says nothing could separate you from the love of God. Hmm. Think about this. Nothing could separate you from the love of God. What does that mean? It means you're always connected to God's love. You may not feel it, but you are always (laughs) one with God's love. Yeah. It's the lie and the belief that you aren't that causes our demise. Hmm. And what does the enemy do? Tries to make you believe and convince you that you are separate from God, but you're always one with his love. Yeah. That's what's fascinating. Yeah. So you give your life to Jesus and then you feel separate. You're like, what's going on? Well, the enemy's lying to you and he's causing you to believe that you're separate. Remind yourself, no, and through Jesus, I am one with the father. Yeah. I am reconciled. I am one with the Father. You cannot separate me. You cannot divide me. I am always one with that love. The more you remind yourself of that, the more you then take action to now connect to God, connect to others. So for me, it's a walk of gratitude and prayer. It's trust. It's surrender. And it's as simple as God. I can't do it alone. Yeah. I need you, God. I can't do it. Just be with me. Move through me. Yeah. It's my wife and I in our marriage. God. We pray every night. We invite you into our marriage, Hmm. invite you into our marriage Hmm. to love us, to unite us, to heal us and Hmm. to strengthen us. So we can go strong together and serve you together. So we say that each night before we go to bed, like what is that doing? Uniting ourselves together and to God and not just with words, but with meaning 
and yeah. purpose. And we're saying the things that, that help us connect to our creator because yeah. our God is always there. He's always one with us and he's always telling us that he loves us. We're just uh, honestly listening to the wrong voice a lot of times. And the enemy is so subversive and so good. He's constantly getting us to look outside, mm. to look at comparison, competition, media, fear, stress, and all the things that make us feel separate. Mm. And we always have to just remind ourselves, no, we are one with God's love. Yeah, that's good. Good word. John, you mentioned earlier on, I'm going to ask you if you'll pray for us in just a second, but you mentioned you have a new book. Is that coming out anytime soon? Where will we be able to get it? I'm writing it in December. Okay. Writing in December. It will come out next spring, but I highly recommend in the meantime, people read The Seed. Okay. The Garden for sure. The Garden is what we're talking about mostly today. I think if they read The Garden, they're going to have a really great understanding of what we're talking about. Again, I've had people who have read the Bible and studied the Bible and gone to church their whole life and said that the garden just helped them in a a deep way. Inspired by Erwin McManus, who's a pastor and, you know, world changer and someone who has spoken in my life. And he, he, he gave me the gift of Jesus. He brought me to Jesus. I, Hmm. I was baptized because of, of him and his teachings. Yeah. And I'm still, still one of his, you know, students learning and growing every day in my faith, you know? And so, so that's something that's, um, you know, again, a big part of my life, we're never done growing. And the main character in the book is named Mr. Irwin based on him. Yeah. And we laugh because I, a lot of times know his words and sermons and teachings better than him because he'll (laughs) give it and forget it. He'll give it. But I remember a lot of things that he says, and, and then I'm really good at hearing and discerning what truth is. Yeah. It's why I came to believe in Jesus. Cause I was like, this is the truth. Like this is the only explanation. And once you see the truth, do you know how people, how uh, they determine counterfeit money and how they are able to distinguish counterfeit Mm. money from, from real money. People think they study all these different sorts of counterfeit exchanges and money. No, the counterfeit experts study the real thing so well, Mm. they're able to distinguish and discern what is a lie and what is not mm. the real thing. Mm. So once you know the real thing so well, you can actually spot the lie. Yeah, so for true. me, the more time I spend with God yeah. and the more time I, I am surrendering and trusting in him, I now really can distinguish his voice yeah. from the enemy's voice. It's good. And That's I think good. that as Christians, more people need to do that. Yeah. How many Christians live in fear? Yeah. How many Christians don't have faith and don't trust? Hmm. If you're truly a Christian, you should be the most positive optimistic faithful person on earth (laughs) right we should be like hopeful and optimistic and positive because even if we die tomorrow yeah we ultimately know at the end what happens yeah and that should give us freedom hope and belief and the truth is none of us are going to live forever we're all going to die yeah it's true so if we're all going to die guess what life is temporary yeah so what's the point of life the point of life is God and it's our relationship with him yeah. and it's our relationship and to be saved and to have our soul saved and to actually live in this eternal existence yeah. in, a, in, in a way, but, but also to make the temporary eternal while we're here <laughs> to bring the love of the temporary. That's why God said, you know, kingdom come on earth, right? Yeah. Bring the kingdom to yeah. earth, heaven yeah. on earth yeah. to make earth like heaven. That's why missionaries do what they do. We're yeah. so it's not just about escapism. Oh, I just want to get out of here, go to heaven. No, we're we're meant to express heaven here right now with sure. love and joy and peace. Sure. So that Excuse comes me. from the soul. 
Yeah. And I'm not a preacher, but somehow, some way. I don't know. I don't know. You could, you, you could, you could definitely be one. So (laughs) I think our, our, we have an equal admiration for um, Irwin McManus. I just published my first book and uh, one of the sections in there, he, he talks about loyalty and leading people and he, He's he's a creative mind and a phenomenal, unbelievable. He unpacks scripture and uh, man, he really challenges you. So I think he, does. Both he thinks at another e- level. Oh, equal admiration. John, would you pray for us? It's been an honor to spend some time with you today. Would you just pray for our audience? Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I pray for the audience. I pray for all the missionaries out there making an impact and and just just doing their mission and serving others and loving others and and sharing Jesus with the world. I pray for everyone who's listening that you're filled with peace, that you develop a stronger relationship with God, that you surrender to him and his purpose and calling in your life, that you meet him daily and allow him to meet you on your walks, in your prayers, in bed or in the shower, wherever it is that you allow God to start to move through you and allow him to make you an instrument of his peace, of his joy, of his love and of his mission. And in doing that, he will move through you and help you grow into the leader and person that you are meant to be. You don't have to worry about becoming anything. You just do the work, you plant the seeds and God will do the growing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 